things, new revelations, little things with the kids and the father's heart and big things. I went on a mission trip to Philippines and saw God move in miraculous ways. I mean, miracles right in front of my eyes. So many things. I went to a conference in Toronto. God blasted me at this conference in Toronto. And man, there's just so much to share. So how am I going to boil it down? It it just, I was like, how am I going to do this? And so I decided, you know what? I'm just going to boil it down to two things. I want to boil it down to two areas that God has been really speaking to me during this time. And it was because of this gift that Trinity, you gave us. It would not have been possible. I don't think I would have had the space and the time to receive this revelation, life-transforming revelation. There's no way I could have. I don't think, I don't think so. And so it was a big gift. I want to thank you again. So I want to boil it down to two things. One is family. God knocked my socks off about the importance of family. Family. And, and, and I'm sure maybe you would look on, on our Facebook page. And by the way, I've, it's been recently deactivated. It's just to detach totally and to focus on family and focus on God. And it's been awesome. You know, I didn't know how I would be able to do it at first, but once the deactivate happened, it was like, I'm free. (laughs) I don't know, I just felt so free and light, and it's been great. And, you know, after going to the Philippines, I suddenly got another 100, 200 friends from the Philippines, and there's just so much there, you know. And, uh, but to be able to just let go has been a a real blessing. Uh, But if you have been looking on our Facebook pages, we have lots of photos of our family, and we do fun things, and the kids are all... You know, hey, and it's like, those are, those are pictures. Those are snapshots. Those are the highlight reels of our life. What you don't see is everything else. And so God was showing me that the everything else matters more than the highlight reel. It matters more than that snap moment. And that was huge. And this is a passage that I want to share with you today that you know, I've, I've spoken this passage before. We share, I share this passage every time we do a baby dedication. This is the passage we read. But, you know, there's times where you read a passage, you've read it like 10, 20, 30 times, and it's like, yeah, I know that passage. And then all of a sudden, you read it again, almost from a different perspective, and it knocks you off your feet. That's what happened to me when I read this passage in Psalm 127, verses 3 to 5. And this is what it says. Behold... Children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. And usually that's where we stop. That's where we stop and we do the whole liturgy of the the baby dedication. The parents come up, they say a few words. But then it goes on. There's verse 4 and 5 too. And this is what it says. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. Wow, revelation. My kids are like arrows that I shoot into their God-given destiny. And it blew my mind. And I was like, I have four. There's a lot in my quiver. But you know, as a pastor, as a minister of the gospel, I thought, you know what, the body of Christ they need to be launched in their destiny. And that's how God uses me. That's how God uses me. Perhaps you have found that, um, seeing me as your pastor the last almost seven years now. 
that God uses me to launch people into their destiny. I don't know how. It just happens. People come. They come for a season. They, they come, call Trinity home for a little while, and then boom, they're launched in ministry, whether it's pastoral ministry, mission. It just happens. It's an apostolic anointing. And that's what God's been showing me over the years. You're called to be an apostolic leader. You're called to be an apostolic leader. You shoot, you fire people into their destinies. And I was like, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. And I focused a lot of my time on the people that God's been showing and bringing to me. And of course, that's important. But I forgot. I forgot my family. I forgot my own kids. And this time that Trinity, you have given us this gift of the sabbatical made me f- realize I need to launch my children into their God-given destiny. And they're not going to learn it from anyone else better than their mom and dad. They need to see the life of a follower of Jesus Christ modeled. And you know what? It's been a hard road. I haven't been able to do that well. And so during the sabbatical, I repented. I repented. A pastor, I was at a, uh, a, a conference not long ago, and at the, at the conference, the speaker was talking about missions. And it got my attention because I'm very missional. I want to see the lost saved. I want to see people who are far from God come close to him. It's beautiful watching that happen in front of your eyes when someone experiences and encounters the presence of God and they're changed forever. It's amazing. It's amazing. So the speaker was talking about missions and Billy Graham back in the 70s had this vision. Every one of us, we know Billy Graham, right? One of the greatest evangelists of all time. He had this vision for the total evangelization of the world. And he's like, how are we going to do that? It's not going to happen with just one Billy Graham. We need an entire army of Billy Grahams. How are we going to do that? And so in 1974, he called together leaders, missionaries, missions organizations, pastors, people, the body of Christ together to have a conference to discuss world missions to discuss how are we going to reach the entire world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in 1974, they met in Switzerland, in Lausanne, Switzerland. And they began what is called the Lausanne Movement. How many of you have heard of this movement? It's called the Lausanne Movement. They gather, not sure if it's every year, I think it's every few years or so, they gather to have a conference with world leaders. And at the first First Lausanne conference, there was 2,400 people from 150 countries gathered to discuss strategies and ways to see the gospel being preached all across the world until there's no place left. And it's still happening today. This movement is still happening today. Now, in 1989, they had another conference, the Lausanne conference. They held it in Manila in, in the Philippines. And at this conference, there was a speaker by the name of Lewis Bush. And he spoke, he gave a, a, te- a, like a, a sermon at this uh, conference, and he mentioned what he coined the 1040 window. How many of you have heard of the 1040 window? Okay, this is a popular term. The 1040 window 
is the geographical area between the 40 degree and the 10 degree latitude on the earth. And in, in between that, it's like a little rectangle all around the world. There's nation, the nations that are in that zone are North Africa, the Middle East, and most of Asia. And at this conference in 1989, Lewis Bush was saying that geographical area is where there is the most unreached people groups in the world. And that term became a buzzword in the, in the church. Unreached people groups became a, a thing. It became this word, this drive. We need to go to the unreached people groups of the world. And so since that conference, missions organizations, churches, leaders, they would send, they would put all their, a lot of their efforts towards sending missionaries to the 1040 window. Many, many missions organizations did that. Nations did that. South Korea was one of those nations. They relentlessly sent missionaries to the 1040 window. I will die for Jesus, they'd say, and they would go. That was in 1989. Today, there is a new unreached people group. The 1040 window for the last however many years, I'm not good at math, 1989 till now. 30? <laughs> not bad, John, is that right? That's 39. John Galbraith, I need your help. 1989 till 2019. Anyways, I think it's 30, right? <clears throat> I'm Asian, but I can't do math, okay? There you go. That one was for free. Um, for the last 30 years, missions organizations have been really focused on the 1040 window. There's still a lot to do. There are still nations in that area that are closed to the gospel. But there's been a lot of work. Philippines is in the 1040 window. And let me tell you, there's massive revival happening there. I'm going to share a little bit about that later too. Massive revival. It's amazing. It's like, it's like to the proportion of what happened in South Korea and what's happening in Brazil. It's happening in the Philippines. It's unreal how God is moving there. Anyways, so the 1040 window, although you know, there's still a lot to do there, is no longer the place of the most unreached people group. Now it's the 414 window. And you might be asking, well, where's the 414 window? Is that here? Canada? Is that Nunavut? Where's that? The 414 window, church, is everywhere where there are ages 4 to 14. That's the new unreached people group. It's not limited to a geographical location, a place. It's everywhere. Four years, you know, before and after. So it's really 0 to 18. That age group is the most unreached people group in the world today. And when I heard that, I was cut, cut to the heart. Because the Lord spoke to me and he said, that's in your house. That's in your home. That's in your church. You know, I'm so thankful to God that at Trinity, we have so many kids 
You know, there's churches that have none, zero. We have so many. And to see them dancing free in the presence of God, that is what it's all about, church. We need to think differently. I needed to think differently. I repented. God, I was thinking out there, out there, out there. And he's like, in your home is the greatest mission field. Blew my mind. Now, for those of us who have kids outside of that age group, listen, it's never too late. Never. By reaching your kids, by reaching people, you're harvesting the harvesters who will reach that age group. Now, we need to think generationally. We need to think beyond our world. We need to think, how are we going to raise up the next generation of champions for the Lord? How are we going to do that? And God convicted me to the core He's still doing it because I don't get it right. But the gift of this sabbatical, this four months that Trinity you gave us, created the space, the atmosphere, and the time to receive that powerful, powerful revelation. And to look upon our church and say, okay, we need to think differently about how we raise the next generation. We need to model what it means to radically follow Jesus. Model it with my life, with our lives. And so parents, that's, that's big. That's a big call. He's called us to do that. So again, thank you, Trinity. Thank you. Thank you for this time. My family is so grateful for it. It's changed my life. And the second thing I want to share with you is what and it's sort of tied to this, is what I've been learning about God in this time. There's so many things, actually. So many wonderful revelations. So many new truths that I've come to experience and embrace about God, about who God is, that He is a loving Father. Greater revelation of that. But there's one thing that I I realize and I want to share with you. And to do that, I want to illustrate it by reading a passage in the book of Mark, chapter 9. If you have your Bibles um, or on your phones, just uh, go to Mark 9. Click to Mark 9. Chapter, so Mark chapter 9, verse 14 to 27. This is what it says. I'm going to read it from the Bible. So Mark chapter 9, uh, 14 to 27. 
And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him, that's Jesus, and greeted him. He asked them, and Jesus asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit and makes him, that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, Oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us. And help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father and the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you to come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse. So, they, so most of them said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up. And he arose. Now the context of this passage is this. Before this episode, this amazing encounter, this amazing deliverance happens, Jesus is with Peter, James, and John, and he goes up a mountain. They're on a little retreat. You know, sometimes it's good to take a retreat. Sometimes it's good to step back, to take time away, to waste time with Jesus. That's what the sabbatical was for me. So Peter, James, and John, they're having a really awesome time with Jesus. They're away from the busyness of ministry the crowds coming to them and saying, come, heal me, do this, do that. He's away from that. And Peter, James, and John are there too. And they look at Jesus and suddenly he's transfigured. And he's glowing. He's got clothes, robed, dazzling white. You know, it, it's probably kind of like what Moses looked like when he went up the mountain to, to be with the Lord. And then he came down. Remember, it says his, he was beaming with glory. And so they were encountering the glory of God. And it's magnificent. When you take time to waste time to be with Jesus, you encounter His glory in a very profound and unique way. And it sustains you because at some point you're going to come back. A retreat's not forever until heaven. But a retreat is a retreat and then you come back. But what you encounter on that retreat will sustain you for the next season. And so they come back off the mountain and they see this crowd. And in the crowd are the other disciples. And this man comes and he's like, I have a son and he can't, I mean, there's an evil spirit attacking my son. And Jesus 
he, he's, he's kind of upset. <laughs> he's like, oh, faithless generation. He's calling out the lack of faith. Not just in that father, but in the crowd. Among the disciples, too. There was a lack of faith. And so the father comes. And they have that dialogue about what's been happening with your son. And the father says, well, could you do something? If you can, please do something. Jesus is like, anything's possible for those who believe. And the response of the father was, I believe, help my unbelief. Now, would you say that that's faith? Would you say that that's belief in the Lord to do great things? He had a half faith. But you see, it wasn't just the Father, the crowd too. Jesus called it out. Oh, faithless generation. But here's the interesting thing. Jesus didn't say this. Oh, you just missed the mark, bro. You just missed the mark on the level of faith you needed. I'm sorry, it just can't be done. See ya. Sorry about your son. He didn't say that, did he? He didn't address the unfaith. He didn't address the unbelief. He didn't address the double-mindedness. But he heals the boy. Do you know why he did that? You know, gee, oh man, God is so awesome. I gotta write this down. I'm getting a download right now. You know why God did this? God does everything with intention. Everything that happens, everything that God does, there is intention behind it. Jesus healed this boy. It wasn't just for that boy to be healed, although as awesome as that is. It wasn't just for the father. It was for the crowd. It was for us reading about this story, this thing that happened. Jesus, by healing the boy, creates the faith that is needed. He creates the faith that is needed to follow him, to see the kingdom come, to see God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, many of us, we, we might relate to the Father and say, you know, I know in my mind that God can do great things. I know that, you know, God can heal, that God can restore, that God can fix this mess that's in front of me. I know that God can remove this mountain in front of me. I know, but really, would he do it? How many of you can relate to the Father? Let me tell you something. I can. I definitely can. But Jesus, he doesn't, break that down. He doesn't condemn us for that. He says, you know what? You may not have that faith right now, but you will watch this. And whammo! He creates the faith that we need. That's the kind of God we serve. He creates the faith in us for the impossible, for the unseen realm, so that we can walk boldly confidently, in faith, not by sight. God's got this. 
in November, I went on a trip to the Philippines. I'll be very honest with you. I was more looking forward to the stint I would have in Korea than the Philippines. Because I was going to go visit my grandpa, who was 102. He's doing pretty good for 102. I'm telling you, kimchi, okay? <laughs> it's in the kimchi, folks. That's all I got to say. He's 102, man. He's 102. Doing great. I got to see my family. It was a tremendous blessing. I got to go to Yonggi Cho's church. Get this. I, had, I can't really read Korean, so I wasn't able to go on their website and see what's going on. So I didn't know when the service times were, nothing. So I just went there, and you look around. It's, it, it's like a stadium. It's so humongous. And I was like, whoa, where am I? How do I? And there's people lining up like this way, this way. I'm like, what's going on here? So anyway, I get in and I go all the way to the top and I'm at the third service. And I was like, oh, that's good to know. It's the third service. And so I got the bulletin and I was able to read enough to look at who's, you know, what's going on in each of the services. They have seven services. And so I'm like, I'm at number three. And service one, two, and three was... Uh, the senior pastor of that church. Uh, it's not Yonggi Cho anymore. It's a, an, another guy. I can't remember his name, but uh, he was the one speaking. Service four was Yonggi Cho. And then five, six, seven is other people. And I thought, what? I'm at service three. And I wanted to see Yonggi Cho. But I had to leave. I couldn't just stay for four, the fourth service as well. I, I had to go meet my family. And actually, you have to line up. To get in, they line up. They they line up for church. Isn't that crazy? They line up. There was a lineup during, and that's what these lines were. They were lining up for the fourth service, while I and I was like, okay, I'm just going up. I didn't know that the third service was open. Right, go ahead. But fourth service, there was like, it's like Disney World, like lines. I didn't know, so I missed Yangi Cho, but, but. All the way up in the nosebleed section of Yaido Full Gospel Church, with the 20% of understanding of what the preacher's talking about, God spoke to me. <laughs> and I weeped and weeped and weeped. Oh, it was a powerful revelation. And God said, It's not about Yangi Cho, it's all about me. And I thought, wow, that was awesome. Anyways, I was more looking forward to seeing Yonggi Cho and, you know, going to Korea. I had no expectation of the Philippines. But man, God blew my socks off while I was in the Philippines. Originally, I was going to go just to be a prayer intercessor for uh, Glenn Blakeney. He's uh, uh, an apostolic uh, minister. He travels all over the world. He's got churches in the Philippines, Indonesia, Singapore, and Perth, Australia. And uh, I just wanted to know, you know, what do you do? I, I love what you do. I just want to see you do it. You know, what do you do? Can I come? And he's like, sure. I was like, sweet. So I, I was just going to go just to, you know, take notes, pray for him behind the scenes. That's it. I had no other expectation. But I went, and he's like, oh, yeah, James, by the way, can you preach at the crusade tonight? I'm like, what? <laughs> uh, okay. 
Uh, oh, oh, that, that, and then I, I did that, and then, oh, that went well. Do you, do you want to preach at the Pastors and Leaders Conference in two days? <sighs> okay. <laughs> and so that went well. And then, oh, oh, by the way, do you want to preach one more time? <laughs> so he got me to preach, you know. But man, every time I preached, I saw hunger. The people are so hungry. Some of them, they have no idea what I'm saying, but they're crying and they're like, yes, 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 yes. Unbelievable. I was like, what? They were so hungry for the Lord. And, and, and they were just waiting, waiting for an altar call, waiting. Please, just make an altar call. Please make an altar call. And said, so I was like, if you want prayer, boom. And it's like, whoa. And there's kids there. Kids, church, kids. I think by judging by where my kids are in age, probably Ezra's age, maybe younger than Ezra, four, five, coming up like this, like this. Yes, I want, Lord, I want Jesus. I want Jesus. I was just, wow. And, and we'd go around and just pray. I wouldn't even touch them. I wouldn't even have to touch them. In Jesus, boom, they're on the ground. Whoa, really? Wow. In Jesus, boom, they're on the ground. In Jesus' name, they'd be weeping, weeping. Whoa, this is revival. And I thought, yes. One thing that happened, I think I shared this. I came to Trinity in December. I had to share a little bit, but I'll share it again. We were in a town. It was called Bukana in Palawan. So remote. I mean, you look at third world country, you know, video clips and things from World Vision or whatever, I was walking in that kind of a road, like mud, huts, kids in bare feet, almost naked. They have, they have no shoes. They, they can't afford it. And they're thin. They're like tiny. And I'm like, whoa. Anyway, we're in this town. And um, each town has a, like a mayor, but they... Uh, they call him a chief, I think, Barangay chief. And um, he was opposed to us coming. And so even before the trip, Glenn messaged out all the people that were on his team, uh, which consisted of people from New Zealand, Australia, South Africa, and I was the token Canadian. And um, so he, he, he messaged us out and be like, look, guys, we need to pray. Um, we're getting some resistance in Bukana. Um, pray that the Lord opens the door. And, and we just did. We did. We prayed. We prayed. And he changed his mind. The mayor was like, you know what? Sure, come. Just like that. Just like that. We're like, yeah, wow. You know, it's amazing when you're living in that. You're like, wow, God. That's like Book of Acts stuff. And then at this conference, at this gospel crusade in Bukana, the mayor's there. The chief is there. He's all stylish. He has a golf hat on, and he's very well-dressed compared to everyone else, you know. And so you could spot him out. And so anyways, he was up there. He was standing. If this was the stage, he was standing right about there. And uh, he was just, you know, like this, watching. And then the altar call happened. Come, if you need prayer for healing, if you need prayer to receive Jesus. And he comes forward. Actually, he didn't even take that many steps forward. He took maybe two steps forward, and he just got swarmed by the team. And so we're, they're all praying, and all of a sudden, this mayor, this chief, 
face plants. Face plants on the ground. We're like, whoa. He didn't, he didn't get the memo, you know. You're supposed to go backwards. There's catchers behind you, you know. He doesn't know the evangelical, the, the charismatic ways, I guess, you know. The, the, the courtesy dive. He didn't understand. He went forward. There's no catcher. He's on the ground. Uh-oh. We're like, whoa. So then we're just like, is he okay? Like, what happened? He gets up. He starts jumping up and down. And he's like, I'm healed, I'm healed, I'm healed, I'm healed. And we're like, of what? Like, we have no idea what's happening. So he gets up on the stage. He grabs the microphone. Boom. He's like, listen, I am the mayor of this town. I'm the chief of this town. He's saying it in Tagalog. This is what I think was the translation. Uh, you know who I am. You know I'm a Catholic. You know I'm not really into this. But Jesus is here. I am healed. I've had this condition. Yeah, right? I've had this condition for over 10 years. I've had a hard time sleeping, and it's gone. The pain's gone. I'm healed. I'm healed. Jesus is here. And that blew open the door, and the altar flooded. Again, kids, we, we, we did it, the, the typical evangelical, how many of you want to receive Jesus Christ today as your Lord and Savior? We had double hands going up, okay, double hands. And I should have shown you a picture. I, if you look, every single hand was up, everyone. There's like thousand, over a thousand people there like this. I want to receive Jesus. I was like, oh. And I realized something. God, you are recreating faith in me to see this here. Because over the years, church, I mean, you know me, for those of you who've been tracking here at Trinity for many years, you've heard me say the word revival, revival, revival. God's put that in my bones and it will not go away. I believe God created me created us to see this happen in our generation. I believe it. 100% I believe it. I believe it. But over the years, that faith was... Not long ago, after... This was in January, actually. I woke up one morning, and I couldn't move my neck. It was like stiff. And if I tried doing this, I'd be like, ah, it'd be so painful. My back was way out of alignment. I was like, Allie, I think I have to go to the chiropractor. Let's make an appointment. So we did. And I went and he crack, 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 crack. <laughs> and I was like, I'm a new man. Wow, <laughs> I'm a new man. Look at this. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> That's what the sabbatical was for me in the spiritual realm. It realigned my path. It realigned my vision, my focus, everything back to what God originally intended it to be, revival. That's what it's all about. To see it happen here, to see it happen in all generations. Let me tell you something, Trinity. We are being set up by God. To see a move of his spirit hit every generation. Look at our worship team this morning. Wasn't it beautiful? It was made up of 
all the generations. How beautiful is that? It's rare, but it's beautiful. He's setting us up. It's going to happen. It has to happen so that we can reach this city, this region, this world with the life-transforming power of God. Amen. Amen.